Now, you can imagine now, we've had three inferences from the, the director of the TV uh, concerning what had gone on. 15 minutes later, the referee, who's just about to drink a cup of coffee, drops his cup and goes, Gunnar, you better read this. And I thought, all oh, right, what's happening now? It was from a high, high office man at the ICC, that wonderful place, the Ivory Tower. Sent him an email. He said, quote, unquote, dear Andy, that's Andy Pycroft, could you please stop the game and talk to the, ref uh, to the umpires and ask them to change Nathan Lyon's socks? As you know, law something something clothing ICC says you can only wear grey or white socks. I thought this was one of my mates winding me up here. He's got five cross. Eight to the end of the over. Nigel, Richard, I need to talk to you again. This is a family show, so I can't exactly tell you what Longy said, but he's a South London boy, so anyone from that area could guess what Longy said. He said, what, what do you want now, little fat man? I said, you've got to stop the game. We've stopped it in. What do you want? I want you to bring Nathan Lyon over to the stumps, up to the stump mic, and tell him he has to leave the field of play to change his socks. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast series, Caught Down the Leg Side. Each month, we'll be sharing our thoughts on all things cricket, and in this first episode, we discuss the series in New Zealand, the future of Test cricket, how England and the Aussies are shaping up ahead of the Ashes, as well as the success of the recent Women's World Cup, our memories of the great Shane Warne, what was going through Gunner's mind when he once gave Sachin Tendulkar out on 99, and of course... Nathan Lyon Socks. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to our very first podcast episode. Absolutely thrilled to be here. Um, we've got a great first episode lined up. But it makes absolute sense, I suspect, to start with some introductions. So my name is Michael Gegg, a.k.a. Geggy or a.k.a. Freddy, as I'm known on tours for reasons I've got absolutely no idea why. Um, but I'm going to be your host each month. And then joining me will be Wormsley's favourite head groundsman, Simon Tremlin. Evening, Tremors. Hey, mate. How you doing? Jerry Smith, father of Sussex Southern Vipers and Northern Superchargers, Lindsay Smith. Evening, Jerry. Good evening. And finally, by my, no means least, former elite international umpire Ian Gunner Gould. Evening, Gunner. Evening, Michael. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. Very well. Good. Good. Now, listen, I've got no idea how any of this is going to turn out, but I think the one thing we can promise is that each month we'll share some honest, unbiased views. Uh, from time to time, we'll also invite some guests on this show. I want to start this first episode looking back at the New Zealand series. Not sure how many of you guys actually watched all of it, but after that great finish, it's a shame it wasn't three tests. But what were people's thoughts on the on the series? Well, I think you're right, Freddie. Why wasn't it three tests? I think that's uh, always a good starting point. Um, surely if you're going to have a World Test Championships, you've got to have parity in the number of tests you're paying on each series. That, that's my view on it. Well, I think it's uh, like one of the best sides in the world now. They should be having four or five test series. You know, there's so much, so you know, much enjoyment going on these tours as well as a supporter. Um, two tests anywhere against anybody is just a waste of time, I think. This time of year, mate, it's normal. You go Sri Lanka, New Zealand, West Indies, South Africa, New Zealand, England. It just, it's this calendar that's now fully booked up with everything you can fully book it up with. Um, so they're just trying to put things in. And as Tremor said, if you're having a, or if, if you're having a, a World Test Match series all the way through the year, you have to play the same amount of games. You have to get everything in. So I don't get two games. There's a long way for England to go to, to play two games. But that's the way the calendar is going. 
um, which is a bit of a shame, really. Because at the moment, what, that World Test Championship, the cycles every couple of years? Or doesn't it just make sense to extend it out to four years and make series longer? I think, I think uh, things can change, can't they, with teams? Um, and they'll say, oh, you know, teams change like, over four years. But, you know, I'm a bit like, I don't, I don't care that much ab- about it, who's like, the best test teams out there. I just want to see good series, good cricket. Ultimately, to me, it doesn't really matter who wins it because there's, there's so many different variances in it as well, you know, and, and you can see now that people are certain sides are desperate to get into the final and they'll do certain bits and bobs to, to pitches to make sure they sort of get up there. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. And as you say there, all right, how many teams actually take, give it much credence? Well, how many teams are good enough to play in it? How many, you know, how many sides are good enough to get, they were really at the start of the year go, we're aiming to get in the World Test Championship. You could name them now. Yeah. The team that are there right now. I mean, the surprising package of me, and I didn't realise, Jerry, until this morning, that Sri Lanka were in it. You know, every time I saw a Sri Lanka score, they were getting hammered, but I don't know what's happened there. <laughs> but, you know, there's not enough teams in world cricket right at this minute to make this a serious object in my eyes. Well, you know, it's really interesting because post the New Zealand series, I put a tweet out um, which <laughs> addressed to the ICC, saying the best <laughs> the best format of the game is alive and kicking. And someone actually pulled me up on it on social media, saying, "Well, outside of the top three, is that really true?" And it's it's a fair point, right? Because we we got a new blogger on on the Addis guy called um, Dan McPherson, and and he went out to the Women's World Cup in South Africa, and at the end of his two weeks, he he did day one of the. South Africa West Indies test that's just finished. And on day one, there's literally less than a couple of hundred people in Centurion. And it's a fair question, you know, outside of the top three, is you know, the, the standard of te- the state of test cricket. Yeah, is that down to the ICC or is that more the cricket board responsibilities in each country? Right. Fair as well. When we've when we've gone around on tours, Freddie, you go to a few places and there's hardly any locals there. Well, we've been mm. places when it's just been Brits, Brits on tour. So I don't I don't think that's sort of particularly changed very much. I think you go to some of these countries and you could pay the crowd to go and they still wouldn't turn up. Sorry, that's very true. I mean, that's very true, Trimmers. I did a game in Barbados, which we all love, India versus West Indies. And it was full of Brits on holiday. <laughs> very pink, very drunk, <laughs> and very chanting songs that were actually no relevance whatsoever to this game. But they were they were the only people there. Yeah. Because there's you know, I've just had the pleasure of just coming back from Barbados and it's you know, the the COVID issue there has hit them very, very hard. And if you're charging twenty five dollars for a day's cricket, they're not gonna pay that. But but I don't see it's not it's the norm. When England play away or play at home, it's packed. Mm. India play at home, it's, you know, especially one-day cricket, it's packed. Mm. South Africa play at home, good side, no one there. You watch today, it was school children. They bust a load of school children in and all the cameraman did was just park up onto them. So mm. it's, it's just where people are at the moment. I think everyone wants a bit of fast food. And um, those games seem to be selling out to probably got a little bit more advertising than the rest of it, to be honest with you. So probably it's got a lot to do with the home board, what they want. And they don't help themselves with scheduling because that South Africa game I just mentioned against uh, West Indies, it, day one was a Tuesday. You know, and you, they don't help themselves with scheduling. Yeah. If, you know, you think the bulk of that test series what Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and day five is Saturday. Club cricket, Greggy. Club cricket, mate. Where, where do you guys sit? Where, where do you guys on where if you were to look forward five years, where do you think test cricket could be? Do you think it will just be the, the top, you know, four or five sides? Unfortunately, yes, probably, because they're the ones with the money. Uh, if you, you know, India, Australia, England, um, they're, the, they're the only countries that are playing five day test series, I believe. Mm. So there's a huge imbalance there. You know, Gunnar mentioned uh, Sri Lanka. Well, Sri Lanka never played a five test series yet. You know, is that to their advantage or disadvantage? I don't know. I mean, it's well, very sad. I, I, I just say, I just think oh, these series. You know, you got potentially some some great series, and you know, just just two test matches. It's just, yeah, it's just rubbish. And the thing that really bugs me is they don't they don't really think about some of the supporters as well. 
nowadays it's not all about tv and stuff like that it's like they don't care about supporters turning up and they could make it you know a bit better for people who'd spend a lot of money going out to these places that's what day night cricket doesn't necessarily help <laughs> no it certainly doesn't <laughs> especially in edge baston well listen let's go, go back to that new zealand series though from an england perspective what are, what are your thoughts on england's performance out there well i haven't got bt so i didn't watch it but i, I sort of I was listening to it and sort of catching up and reading a lot of reports. And I just think it's, you know, it's just great the way that England are going about playing their cricket now. And, and all right, we lost the last test match by a run. Do I really care? I prefer to lose by a run than having a, you know, 600 plays, 500 plays, 400, a game like that. I just think you've got to look at the bigger picture. I just think the way England have played, it's been, it's been fantastic. The, the wheels will come off every now and again because you can't play that like the whole time, or can you? I don't know. Um, but you just got to take your hat off and just go, like, fair play. And look at the bigger picture. You know, everybody wants to go and watch England play, you know? Yeah, I agree with Tremors. I mean, I watched a fair bit of it, to be honest with you, because it, it was that interesting because you never quite knew what was going to happen. You knew that each session was going to unfold to be something pretty exciting. Um, but you never knew quite what was going to happen. So it, I, I love the way they're playing at the moment, England, and I think it's going to make other countries maybe not copy exactly, but certainly take note of the way we play and come up a way against, you know, playing against England. Um, and hopefully they'll adopt it and understand now that, you know, it, it is for the spectators. If they want to grow the game and keep the game going in, in, a, in a test match environment, then, you know, they've got to make it entertainment to get people through the doors and TV companies to, you know, to pay for the coverage. Surely the, the ICC are going to want people to play test cricket, don't they? Yeah. You know, they're not going to say, oh, we just want four people, four sides playing. They go, we want everybody to play and you've got to try and make it more attractive, you know, and, and perhaps the players, coaches have to go, look, you know, we, we owe, owe a little bit to cricket in general. You know, let, let's just try a, a slightly different style. You know, people can play like it and perhaps you will get a few more three-day test matches. But, you know, if people are playing more attacking and stuff like that it's like you know who's who's really going to worry about it all yeah. i worry about is being australia to be fair <laughs> care about losing anyone else i just want to beat australia everything <laughs> now one star performer over the winter has been harry brook gunner have you have you umpired harry brook before yeah only one game last year or two years ago at Headingley. he batted for a little while he could, you tell, could you tell the talent he's got no, I was told the talent was a bit like when Joe Root appeared. When I first saw Joe at Leicester. Uh, he batted like Stevie Wonder, to be honest with you, Joe. And so did Harry Brook. I think they're a win double, to be honest with you. Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder together. But all I heard from people who I respect and judge, in judges and the players, they always told me that Harry Brook was an exceptional talent. Um he managed to bowl a few overs at my end, which I couldn't stop giggling at because it's not the prettiest of actions. And, <laughs> but what I found from the young man, and I saw him, I was at a meeting in Headingley in November, and he'd just come back off a very successful tour. It hadn't changed in one bit. He was just charming, got out of his car, sat, chatted. Lovely boy. And I, he just, he's one of those sort of lads you just wish he, you know, he gets the best out of the game. But he is an incredible talent. What he did in Pakistan was, you know... Though those wickets were flat, but you still got to be able to score runs. Good God, did he do that? Mm. Now, he's a very big talent. A lot of people put a lot of similarities to KP. What, as a person or as a batsman? Batsman. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I think he's got. I think he's got more shots than KP had. I think he plays more around the wicket. Yeah, just it's just beautiful the way he plays. You know, it's not all attack, attack, attack. He's got a very, very decent technique, obviously as well. It's a billion-dollar question. Now, how'd you get Johnny Bairstow back in that side? If you Easy. Easy. You open with him. I'm with you, Jerry. Good God. They'll be going at 12 and over then. <laughs> I must admit, I agree as well. I think mean, you know, the only weak spot at the moment is, is up there. And if you bring Bairstow in when he's had a bit of form, you can't do any worse than what's going on at the moment, can you? I think, you know, the, the hard, hard luck story for Zach Crawley is the fact that he brought up that people have taught him that he's got to leave it outside of stump and he's got to, you know, play straight. And now he's got mixed messages, well, not mixed messages, everyone around him just smashing it all over the place. So he thinks he needs to join in. And I don't think his technique is that way round. But we just saw from Johnny Bairstow, or you chaps saw, I didn't see much of last year's cricket, but 
how exciting that was just standing there or sitting there having a pint watching him just you know taking great sides apart and you know it, <laughs> you put him in a young Ben Duckett's come back which is a great thing they have a left hander up there as well mm. um, well there's going to be some shots played we have to be, keep your eyes open in the crowd I know that I just hope they don't take the option of making him keep you know I think Ben Folks has shown time and again now the importance of playing your best wicketkeeper and actually having someone like him and the way he plays in that position um, is really important I'd, yeah, Michael, really I'd be I'd be gobsmacked if they went down that route. Folks has proved his worth behind behind the stumps. The only thing with Folks's issue is he seems to have got this habit of getting injured. Um, and, he, and when he does get injured, he's out for two or three games, and someone comes in. You know, Ollie Pope kept above him on one game, and that's you know you're just thinking that's crazy. But with Folks batting at seven, six, or seven. He just plays with the tail, and it's just you know if there's if there's the first, one of the first five are still in, he just knocks it around. And I think you know that there are there's a player needed in the team to be able to do that. To be honest with you, so I'm with the rest of the lads. I'm Johnny Bairstow in the bat, and it won't bother Johnny. He's just a team man; he'll get on with it. And looking ahead to the summer, early predictions: Ashes. They've got to beat Ireland first. <laughs> I think the uh, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting series because if we're just going to carry on playing the way we are, which I think we will, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you just sort of think, oh, are the, are the wheels going to come off at, at Lords? You know, something like that, and you're like, oh, here we go, like 45 all out, or the just, you know, it's going to be so interesting to see because you just sort of think with the bowling that the Aussies could have, and you're like, are we just going to right rightly go after them? It, it'll be fascinating to see. I think they'll temper it a little bit. I think you saw a bit of bit of that against New Zealand in the second Test match, where they were under a bit of uh, pressure, and they did temper how they were going about it for a period of time. So um, I think they'll have to do that a lot more against Australia. But I think, yeah, I think we've got a good chance, especially in this country. Um, out there, probably not, but here, yeah, I think we've got a good chance, and it will be a fascinating series. To me, Michael, they've got an ageing attack now, um, who are one by one, breaking down regular. All going to the IPL, which is an incredible tournament for them, but the win ratio of that is a lot of money. They'll be putting everything into that. So Stark is always, you know, he's breaking down. <laughs> Hazelwood, who has been incredibly fit over the last seven years, six years. And Pat Cummins, who's lasted an awful lot longer than I thought Pat would. Take those three out of there, or take one of those out, the backup replacement bowlers for them uh, are not that strong. So I'm actually pretty confident we'll give them a hiding. If we play on good wickets, decent wickets, mm. where they can play their shots, then I think England are going to give Australia a very, very hard time. And I'm, um, yeah, quite looking forward to watch that. Are any of you seeing uh, the series at the moment in India? Yeah, I've watched that. Great series. Yeah, so I think it shows what a good bowler Nathan Lyon is when the conditions are, are right for him. Tremors, you wouldn't be able to produce one of those wickets, would you? <laughs> not, not if I tried, not unless I got my rotavator out, I don't think. I did a game in Nagpur, Tremors, that'll make you laugh. This. There was this last test they've come here. Steve Smith makes the great story of uh, when he left the ground, he didn't know which pitch they were actually physically going to be playing on. I did a game in Nagpur where they played two four-day games on it, two one-dayers on it, and had three net sessions on it. They let the Aussies practice on it for three days, thinking it was just a net wicket. And when they arrived up on the match day, there were some lines waiting for them. So I had the first over the game with a chap called Ishant Sharma, who ran up and bowled the first ball. It bounced seven times before it hit the keeper in the mid-drift. He just rolled along the floor. He bowled six balls, walked up to me and said, Gunner, I'm just going to go and put my training shoes on. <laughs> One of the greatest umpires and a great colleague of mine, Bruce Oxen, for that, Ravi Ashwin, whose first ball pitched three inches outside off stump and went to leg slip. Those are the first seven balls of a test match that lasted until four o'clock the second afternoon. It was incredible. But, some of the bowling and some of the batting on it was astonishing. And now what's come through with this, and the Aussies have just tumbled it, 
Look, in the first two tests, the Australians tried to sweep it, reverse sweep it, and all sorts of ramp it over people's heads, and they got rolled over twice. Suddenly, they go to the next game, the third test, and they play properly, and they win it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you can play on it. It's just a mind games thing. And, you know, this thing that, <laughs> this thing that was in Nagport, I, I, I wish I'd have just taken a picture of it. I'll tell you, just part of it, and you chaps should understand this. At half past ten, the toss of the coin comes. So Bruce Oxford for the night are waiting to make our marks to, to see who's going to bowl and you know who's doing whatever first. But the match referee threw the coin up. It landed on a length, and dust went everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> So you didn't need a match commentator, Ravi Shastri, telling you what this wicket was going to do. And that's how it is. Just get on with it. I, I just sort of think stuff like that. It's like, you know, they should be having like a, a fresh or a f- fairly fresh pitch for a, for especially for a test match. And I know there's always been bits of doctrine and stuff. I can't say too much. Being a Somerset supporter, then at Siderabad. Um, and I don't mind stuff like that, but you, they, you some of it, I just think, goes a little bit, a little bit too far, and I just think the ICC could be a little bit, a little bit sort of tougher with it. Yeah, uh, with me Grainsman's head on that is. Yeah, yeah. no, I just watched cricket today. The South African bit. I watched ten overs. Simon Harmer bowled. Now Simon Harmer, when he plays at Chelmsford, is a magician. He's seventy wickets a year. He strangled one today because people batsmen played off, played him off properly. And, you know, that's why Nathan Lyon in England hasn't got a great track record. That's why, to me, the Aussies have got to keep every one of their fast bowlers fit. Otherwise, we win the series. Because, you know, what Stokes is saying at the moment, he wants eight fit fast bowlers. And one of them could be Joffrey Archer. And I don't think Steve Smith and David Warner are looking forward to him again. Especially if you've got Woody in that team as well. Yeah, he's not slow. There's a, you know, and there's a few around that can bowl quite quickly now. So if they can keep them all fit and Ben can get himself fit so he can bowl a few overs in between, because he's not slow, it's, it looks pretty promising. And hopefully have a nice summer as well, weather-wise. That's a groundsman talking, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> India though, Gunnar, what was, um, you've obviously umpired many, many test matches out there. What's it like umpiring out there, pressure-wise? Brilliant. There's no pressure until some bloke comes in at number four and his name's Satin Tendulkar. That's the only time you can get any pressure. Because the rest came in, you know, Gambia and Virad Sawag and then Raul Dravid. Fantastic players. But when they got out, it went to a deathly hush. And then when he opened the door, he didn't open the changing room door. Someone opened it for him. And he started coming down. And all he could hear was this satching ringing around the ground. And it is pretty scary. You see them polystyrene pads in front of him. You're just praying the little red ball's not going to hit these pads. (laughs) Because you don't want to be giving him out. Don't forget, there's no DRS at the stage where I was there. One that's just pitched outside or sliding down the leg side or going over the top. You don't want to be doing that in a hurry. But it isn't the amazing thing. I imagine most of you have watched cricket in Australia, uh, in India, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in between balls, it's deathly quiet unless some raving lunatic decides to set up a Mexican wave, which to an umpire is a nightmare because all it is is just a crescendo of noise. So you can't pick things up. But when the bowl is running in, it's deathly quiet. So you can enter any nicks is is so you hear it straight away, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But Sachin didn't nick too many to be fair to him. But India is a fascinating place because you just do not know what you're going to get next. You know, you could be doing. I don't know if you watched this test today from Armaback. This thing is a typical old-fashioned Indian wicket. It's low, it's slow. But just talking to a mate of mine that's over there at the moment, he said any minute it could explode, and that's what you're waiting for. But as as, as a country to visit. Absolutely incredible place to go. I'd recommend anyone to go to India. It's brilliant fun. How many selfies do you get asked, asked for? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I've had a couple, but not that many because I was, I just kept myself to myself. Actually, you probably would have had security as well, though, wouldn't you, to be fair, at the grounds? 
I didn't know. I didn't need security gig. They didn't know who I was. I was the last one. They'd know. Change your glasses, change your hat, and just walk down the road and get yourself a pint. That's, if you can make yourself welcome, if you want. But it's when the ICC, in their wisdom, give you a five-hour five stopover at Delhi Airport. <laughs> and you're with the Indian team. You're with Alim Dar. Javigal Srinath is the most known person ever. Is at the end, you know, that was madness. And they don't have airport lounges there, by the way. Absolutely <laughs> crap. But anyway, good fun. Great place. You've had a few selfies out there, Tremors. <sighs> oh, we had a few. And it was um, wasn't that Sachin's last test match in um, Kolkata we were at when yeah. they were all shouting Sachin and we were Sachin Sach out. <laughs> yeah, we got a few of the old <laughs> looks from the uh, from the locals, wasn't it? We were like, perhaps we all shut up now. Right, I'm going to move on. ICC Women's World Cup. Obviously, Gunner, you're out in Barbados. But it seemed a good tournament. Close finishes, good crowds. Then the best team ended up winning. Tremors. Uh, Jerry, did you see anything at the tournament? Um, yeah, I pretty much watched all of it, funnily enough. Yeah, it was uh, Yeah, it was a good tournament. It was a good tournament. The only, the only thing I would say against it was it was pretty obvious who was going to win every game up until maybe... The semi-finals, um, you know, you know that Australia are going to be pretty much unbeatable. You know, India are up there and England are up there. Um, outside of that, South Africa did extremely well to beat England in the semi-finals. Um, but you could pretty much understand who was going to win each game, unfortunately, because you know the, the, these smaller nations, like the men, uh, are still some considerably way behind um, behind the, the major three. Uh, and the major three are getting a bit further away from them, which is which is a concern. Do you think the um, women's Premier League will help with that? I know, obviously, I, I guess most of the teams there are made up of the obviously Indians, Australians, and, and English. But you know, some yeah. of the other players that may have got picked up that you know that can help lift the standards elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. Certainly, you know, I, I think that looks a very promising um, tournament. Um, you know, you've obviously got over 50% of the sides have got Indian women in there, which, which is great for their development because they're playing with some of the more experienced international stars. Um, so they can learn a hell of a lot of them. Um, so that is going to improve their cricket, but that's that's only for India, really. Um, you're only going to get the top overseas internationals from the other countries that are already at the top of their game. So whilst it's great for the development of Indian players, it doesn't really help mm. your Sri Lankan or your, or your Pakistani players. So... Um, that will be the concern. But having said that, there's, they're, they're launching now that the Pakistani Super League as well. There's some exhibition games going on at the moment, three exhibition games um, with some overseas players and obviously um, homebred players as well. So that will be good for, for the Pakistanis. So it's all very exciting. It's all very going in the right direction. It's just going to take a little bit of a while until you start getting some parity between some of the nations. And how are you seeing the strength of, of the game now in England? Obviously, with You've obviously got a vested interest for Lindsay. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that again is incredibly encouraging. Where I think this year we've got 100, yeah, I think it's 100 professional women now that have got contracts um, within the regions. So that can only be a good thing. You know, the fact that they don't have to work independently from cricket, cricket is their living now. Um, you know, such as the, the, the investment, I think it's 10.5 million that the ECB have put into women's cricket this year. Um, which is pretty significant and allows these ladies to to actually develop their skills on a full-time basis as opposed to now and again off you know and then having to have a full-time job to support them so that can only be good and, and the regional structures with the charlotte edwards cup and the um rachel hayo flint it, it, it's, it's it's getting much much more competitive it's getting some really good cricket um, skills which will obviously go into the international scene as well for england so from, from, from that point of view, it's very encouraging. Um, I think there's still some way to go in terms of the structures behind the women because the, the skills are definitely improving. Um, the fitnesses are definitely improving. But I'm not sure that's been reflected from the coaching and structural side of things. I still think there's some work to do there. Yeah, interesting. And how's Lindsay seeing the, um, the 100? Yeah, again, I, from a women's point of view, it's been a huge success. Um 
it's developed a, a new following, new people coming to, to the matches, um, new audiences, better families, more spectators watching their games, and obviously a lot more investment as well into the game. So it's been a very encouraging thing for, for the ladies, certainly. For the men, I know there is some debate whether it has been or it hasn't, but the jury's out on that one, I think, at this moment in time. Donna, how are you seeing the women's game? Do you follow it? I watch it, yeah. I go in my guise as an umpire's coach. I've seen quite a lot of ladies' cricket last year, women's cricket. Uh, and without what Jerry said, it's moved on beyond belief, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I had the pleasure of umpiring uh, England, Australia at, at Hove, good knows, God knows how many years ago now it is, where Sarah Taylor probably took the best catch I've ever seen in my old career, let alone umpiring career. When a young girl tried to reverse sweep one and she went with it and caught it one-handed. You know, that was just incredible. But what I get with this is, is it's not only changing, you know, ladies' lifestyles so they don't have to go to work, they concentrate on everything. What it is doing, quietly underneath, there's a great group of women umpires coming through. And as you saw in the World Cup, they were umpired by females, all of it, which I'm right behind. And certainly through the Rachel I think trophy through the hundred. These ladies got a chance to show what they can do. And I've got to tell you, they were outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. There's a lot, as Jerry said, there's a lot more work to be done. Don't think it's a, it's a done thing. We've got a meeting next week in Manchester where I think 10, 12 female umpires will be at working with the first class. So they'll, and the international panel and the elite, a couple of the elite are coming. So they will pick up you know, what's needed. And last year, I was so proud of some of these girls, that ladies that came in and did it, and they just smashed it. They did it so well, so well, and so confident as well, which was brilliant. A couple of them have only been in it a couple of years. They look like they've been around the circuit for a very long time. So that's really quite encouraging for the ladies' game, the women's game, all going together in one way, I believe, is, is a massive thing. It's a huge thing. And, um, and ladies' cricket is on the, on the up. You know, the only worry I have, not in England, but in New Zealand and whatever, they're getting a bit aged. You know, Sarah Bates, you know, I, I, I'm not going to tell Sarah what age she is as a lady, but, you know, it's Sophie Devine, people like that. They don't seem to be bringing people through as quickly as England are doing. Mm. England have got some very, very talented young ladies playing. Yeah, they have. This girl, Dunkley, I watched her oh, in the test match at Bristol two years ago, I think it may have been, against India. Wow, wow, wow. She was just incredible for an 18-year-old girl, which she might have been even younger. And I see the other day in a paper report, did she hit 60 off 30 balls or something like this in a, in a, in a game? Well, there we go. There's a young 18-year-old girl. Yeah. Jerry will know. There's a few in Sussex that are yeah. climbing a ladder very, very, very quickly, including his daughter. But, you know, at the end of it, it's it's moving forward and it's a great thing to see. It's really a great thing to see. Yeah, yeah. The investment is clearly working. I mean, the, 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 age, the age of the youngsters, as Gunnar says, 16, 17, 8 year olds. The, the, the skill levels of these girls now is incredible, um, which we never had even five years ago. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's excellent with the likes of Dunkley, with the likes of Capsi, um, Izzy Wong, you know, quick bowler, Lauren mm -hmm. Bell. These youngsters are coming through. And when they hit the international stage now, at 18, 19, it's, it's not a big drama for them. They played in, in the 100, you know, they played in the IPL. Um, they're used to big crowds. They're used to the pressures now. So it can only be a good thing. Yeah, it, yeah. and I think, Jerry, in in Sussex is a, is a ladies' league that's just been set up now. Mm. Uh, Division 1, Division 2. So it's all going forward and clubs, are, you know, thankfully, certainly Sussex, my club, are taking it under their wing. Um, yeah. And it's incredibly encouraging and, you know, watching them practising with the, the guys at Hove and then uh, back at school and just seeing how professional it is and having Yasser Arafat and people like that around doing the coaching is it's just remarkable how it's just moved. And obviously Sarah Taylor is amongst the group as well. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, one of England's greatest cricketers. Um, no, it's moving forward very quickly. And if we can get... Uh, a, a, if we can get the best coaches into that system as well, 
uh, worldwide, then I think there's going to be a great thing to. I think that's that, that I sort of touched on that. I think that that's what's needed now is is to look at the coaching, to to look at the structures behind the players. The players have now got the environment to to be able to excel. It's just now getting that backroom background sort of set up absolutely right for them to be able to start beating Australia regularly. You know that 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 because that ultimately is the key to it all. Um, and we still haven't quite cracked that one. I think it's encouraging as well this year, just looking ahead with the. The women's ashes running at the same time, or the you know the same summer as the men's ashes, mm. um, it, it's also going to be great for the women's game. Yeah, yeah. Well, I read that they'd already sold fifty-five thousand tickets, advanced tickets uh, for for those England women's internationals. So that's that's a good start. Okay, I want to move on again. Um, so last week marked the anniversary of Shane Warne's passing, and Gunnar, I'm sure you must have uh, you must have umpired him on on quite a few occasions. Yeah, yeah, I umpired him a few times. I had more drinks with him than the more than I umpired him. <laughs> um, it's remarkable. It's a year, you know. I can't say anything about Shane. Shane's everyone who's a better person than me will talk about Shane. But the thing is, I do remember about Shane um, loyal. He was, he was just a very, very nice bloke. You know, this blase bloke was never that off the field of play. He always had time for people on the field of play. With Shane, you had to manage him. And I mean by managing him, you just talked to him like an adult and he treated you like an adult. And the only time that you ever saw Warney fire up was times where he felt he was being mistreated and treated like a child. Uh, I witnessed one of those at Trent Bridge, the time that Gary Pratt ran out Ricky Ponting. Uh, you know, that was quite a nasty four to five days of cricket. But he felt that at the time, the two umpires were treating him like a child and he took exception to that. But the one thing I learned and I was very lucky with was that when I first came into umpiring, one of my early games was uh, Australia versus Essex in a warm-up game at Chelmsford. I remember great Justin Langer just telling me about Ricky Ponting and Shane. Treat them like adults, Ian, and you won't have a problem. And that was it. Uh, he was just a gentleman. He's a real lovely man. And I really, we used to play a bit of golf together and drink a little bit together. I, and I really enjoyed his company. And I, I did a show with him in Australia, my one of my, my last year with him and um, Kerry O'Keefe. I have not come off somewhere laughing like that in my life. <laughs> It was hilarious. And then ICC stopped it from going out because they thought it was too funny. <laughs> so that just about sums the whole system up, really. This podcast is not long enough for that one. <laughs> Wardy's one of those guys, he brought people into the ground. You know, the battles he had with Kevin Peterson, you know, you just watched that. That was show business stuff. And that brought people through your front door, sit in front of TV. It was just wonderful cricket, and he's a. I just I miss him desperately. He's a great fellow, great fellow. Sorry, me, I got a bit croaky there. No, that's all right. Understandably, Trevor, you you obviously came across him. At, he played at Wormsley a few times. Yeah, a couple of times at Wormsley. And was, yeah, he was just just had time for everybody. He just enjoyed it, laid back, and just enjoyed the atmosphere up here. So very lucky. But if anybody wanted an autograph, you know, if he couldn't do it then, he'd, he'd say, "Come and find me later." And it was just like, you know, he was just, he was just like a lad, and every, you know, even though he was an Aussie, you know, every, everybody loved him. Everybody loved. Him. How could you not love somebody with that that amount of talent? Sadly, sadly missed. Now, I want to finish um, with a regular, what's going to be a regular feature, which is going to be Ask Gunner. Uh, no, where no. We're going to invite all of you to, um, <laughs> to send in questions for Gunner to answer. But now, obviously, this is the first one. So I'm going to throw a couple of questions at you, mate. So firstly, is it true you once gave Sachin Tendulkar out on 99? You mentioned Sachin earlier. Yep, it is very true. Bristol, I don't know, very early in my career, maybe 2006, six, seven tight game he's played like god 
I ruined everyone's day and experience for him. Gave him out, caught behind, hook him down the leg side, caught prior bowl flint off. Can't guarantee whether he hit the glove or the arm guard. No one has ever. But as a gentleman, he didn't say anything. He just put his bat under his arm and walked off the field of play. So I probably got it right. But it was one of those moments for two weeks. I'd walk him around Slough and Windsor with a false beard on and turn my hair into <laughs> pink. Because um, people did have a couple of double takes at me. Is that him? Um, <laughs> but yes, that's true, Michael. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I got away with it. Got away with it. Taught me way out of it again. Shame it was just pre-social media, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, I would know. I would know. I couldn't turn this Zoom call on, let alone get into social media. Thankfully, Michael, uh, you know my children very well. Um, they don't deal in social media. Um, and until you tell them something or whatever. But um, no, I would. that wouldn't bother me one bit. And this is my little bone of contention is it's always wonderful having this social media and you read it when you do ever so well. When you're under an eight, you're not out overnight or you've made two or three fantastic decisions. They've all gone your way. And then the next, so you read it all and you go, that's great, I'll have a glass of red on that one. That's fantastic. But the next day you have a shocker. You have an absolute shocker and then people abuse you and you can't get your head around it. The brilliant Paddy Upton, who used to be the mind man for India in the, under Gary Kirsten, that's what he always said, don't read a newspaper. Don't read it. Just leave it alone. But, the, you know, I've got friends in the umpiring game who are addicted to it. And then they can't get it. They come at breakfast, a broken person. You know, that's great fun at breakfast, isn't it? In Bangladesh, and you're sitting opposite someone who's got a chin on the floor and someone has said something about it. I'll be dead by now for carrying on like that. Or an alcoholic. Jerry, by the way, I just saw that glass of red wine going to your left. So It's actually uh, black currant juice, believe it or not. Oh, uh, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, anyway. Yeah. So this is so this is Pepsi Max. Yeah, you can't see the colour of that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This has got a Mount Gay in it. I can tell you. <laughs> right. The second one I'm going to throw at you. Mm. It's just bringing back another story. So you were obviously third umpire when all of the crap was going off in South Africa and the whole ball tampering stuff against Australia. Can you talk us through the moment that during the middle of all of that, where you've had to radio out to the umpires about Nathan Lyons' socks? Yeah, this is one of my highlights of my career. Because you know when you're not a very good umpire, when you're, you're, you're famous for being third umpire. Now, it is a big of a worry. I spoke at a dinner in Newcastle. You know, that's how bad I'm getting, how skint I am. We're talking in Newcastle now on a Saturday night. Is at the end of it. You know, we all saw what went on, and I still can't, and I've told you this, Geggy, a million times, Mike, I can't understand, A, the sandpaper was yellow, and B, he put it down his pants. That worries me, and I've never tried it, but I don't really fancy trying it, to be perfectly honest with it. The big part of the whole thing was, was having to stop the game on three occasions to go, Nigel, Richard, can you stop the game? So they're, they're a little bit fed up with me now. So about... After it's all died down and the world's media are now descending onto this little shed that are known as the third umpire's box and referee's box in Cape Town, um, it, it just it was madness. And then suddenly there's an email come. Now, I can try and describe this a little bit for you because when you're third umpire, it's one of the greatest jobs in the world. You need to go on a diet the week before because all in the room is just <laughs> peanuts, crisps, biltong, coke, cheese sandwiches, whatever sandwiches you want. You just sit there and eat and talk nonsense. And then someone, an umpire, draws a square and your world stops. So suddenly the whole place <clears> goes <throat> deathly quiet. Now, you can imagine now, we've had three inferences from the, the director of the TV uh, concerning what had gone on. Fifteen minutes later, the referee, who's just about to drink a cup of coffee, drops his cup and goes, Gunner, you better read this. And I thought, oh, right, what's happening now? It was from a high high office man at the ICC, that wonderful place, the Ivory Tower. Sent him an email. He said, quote, unquote, dear Andy, that's Andy Pycroft, could you please stop the game and talk to the, ref uh, to the umpires and ask them to change Nathan Lyon's socks? 
as you know, law something something clothing, ICC says you can only wear grey or white socks. Well, I've got to say, I thought this was one of my mates winding me up here. He's got five cross. So, right, here we go. Now I'm going to get these words together. Right, I'll wait to the end of the over, Andy. Right, okay, then, fine. Wait to the end of the over. Nigel, Richard, I need to talk to you again. This is a family show, so I can't exactly tell you what Longy said, but he's a South London boy, so anyone from that area could guess what Longy said. He said, what, what do you want now? little fat man i said you've got to stop the game we've stopped it in what do you want i want you to bring nathan lyon over to the stumps up to the stump mike and tell him he has to leave the field of play to change his socks <laughs> now the two of them i'm looking out they're giggling like idiots don't be so stupid so they didn't take it as it that was fact so they both walked away i said no lads this is fact. This has come from the highest, highest man in the ICC. So they bring Nathan over. Sadly, Michael, I can't tell you what exactly my, uh, Nathan Lyon did say, but it wasn't very complimentary about me or the ICC or anyone. So he trots off, off to get his socks changed. Now, bear in mind, we just had 20 minutes of complete madness. Comes back, white pair of socks on. Is this all right? Well, of course it is. Don't, you know, just go away. Don't be petching them. Well, three balls later, the ball gets hit to deep mid-wicket where that charming chap, David Warner, is chasing it. He dives, pulls it back. His trousers come up, and guess what? What colour socks? All I can see is black. <laughs> Long ego. Uh, Richard Inworth, the square leg. He's gone, Gunner, don't worry. They're leggings. <laughs> that was it. So... After that, it was reasonably peaceful after that. <laughs> That's how the ICC worked. The Tremors, you want three test matches. You want five. <laughs> give you the, I'll give you the email address. You can send it off tonight. <laughs> Great fun, though. Great fun. Freddie, i got a question for Gunner. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Gunner, you played in the first ever game at Wormsley. Yeah, I got 100. Can, can, no, you never. You got 50, not 8. Don't lie. Um, <laughs> well, that was it. It's like hundred to me. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Short boundaries. Um, can you can you remember much of that day? It was thirty years ago now. I'm sort of I can re I can remember bits and bobs of it, but I wonder if you've got any memories of it. Uh, no, I don't. It was it a game uh, MCC versus somebody. It's a Paul Gessie's eleven. Yeah, yeah. Did Christopher Martin Jenkins and all those and Robin Martin Jenkins and all that lot? Yeah, that's that's right. Him. That's right. Imran Imran Khan's captain. Was he? Yeah, he was minister. Uh, yeah, John Major was there. Queen Mum was there. Remember that? Jesus Christ. You didn't give me a lift home, mate, to get the bus back to Slough. No, to, to, to be honest with you, I thought I got 100. It must have been the next game. Yeah. But, um, no, I don't remember. To be honest with you, I don't remember much of my career. I thought, well, I was actually out of my career, wasn't it? I'd retired by then. I was. 92, I was, that was. So when did yeah, you retire? I was retire? coach at Middlesex. Coach at right. Middlesex. Right, yeah, yeah, no, it's always a special place, your place, because it's great to keep wicked because the ball didn't bounce. So you're never going to get it on the edge. <laughs> and when you batted, you didn't have to walk around with a helmet on all the time. <laughs> but it is a special place. I mean, I was there last year for the, uh, the final of the, was it national, national stuff? Um, Berkshire and Cheshire or someone. But it was just one of a lot of people watching. Yeah. It's a nice place. It's a nice place to come and uh, have a chill out. And we had, I went and watched two very, very good young umpires in that game, which is really encouraging. Yeah. That side of the game is very in, in good nick, Michael, for telling you. Mm. The umpiring side of it, the younger generation. That's good to hear. Because you know, yeah, it's not it's, the same in other sports. No. What, Windsor? <laughs> well, Referee. Yeah. Second from bottom now, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's... <laughs> uh, Simon, it's just a great place to come and play cricket and you're getting more and more there. Um and to be honest with you, I think some of these grounds that we take uh, under 17 and under 19 test cricket too, but that could be easily taken there, without a doubt. It's just a beautiful set. It's a bit like, you know, in the old days, everyone used to want to play at Arundel, didn't they? Mm, yeah. And, you know, everyone, your tourists always wanted to be there. And I believe that Wormsley and Arundel are getting a bit of a rough deal on that because people would rather go and play there. And then, or, you know, some run-down cricket ground somewhere around the M25, which I'm not going to name off. 
I think that's the thing with that with us and Arundel. You know, if you've got a crowd there, it's great. But if you've got no crowd there, it's still lovely. Whereas yeah. you go you go to some other other places, when you've got a crowd there, it's great. But when when there's no crowd, it's a lot of empty seats and very dull, very dull. And people in that situation are not particularly very happy and not too helpful towards you when there's only two hundred people there. Whereas you go through the the driveways of Arundel and Wormsley. The people that meet you and greet you are very happy to see you there. And I think that makes a huge difference, huge difference. But that's my political broadcast on behalf of the two <laughs> we've, we've got one of the, uh, we've got a Vipers, the um, Central Sparks game on the 1st of May at our place as well in the, the 50 over competition. So that'll be, hopefully we'll get a decent crowd for that one. Yeah, you better get the snow off then, mate. <laughs> be too cold to snow up here in may <laughs> talking talking of snow talking of snow county championship will obviously kick off next month question for you gordy what's the coldest game you've ever umpired two my debut oh. durham university versus durham we got neil malender and i got told off by the ecb for calling it off too early which was the third lunchtime we called it off in a blizzard and it took me nine hours to get home. It took me three hours to get out of Durham because it was under three or four inches of snow. And we got reported by that charming chap, Paul Collingwood, who I remind him every time I see him that he's not a proper person. <laughs> and the next one, which will surprise you, is in Australia. Hobart? Yep. There's <laughs> I've never seen Jason Holder wear so many clothes. I mean, he's a big enough boy as it is, but when he's... Oh, West Indies versus Australia in Hobart. I've never known anything like that in my whole life. And we got back to the hotel and the heating had broke down. There was no hot water. I think they just did it on purpose, those charming people of Australia. Australia, greatest country in the world. Land of opportunity. To be fair, in Hobart, they probably only had it a couple of years anyway. Oh, it was cold. <laughs> cold. Great wicket, great town, great city. But that, to me, I'll never forget that until the day I die. The head, the head groundsman at Hobart played in the same game as you, the first game at Wormsley. Did he? Yeah. I bet he didn't get 50. He did, or 100 like you, apparently. Yeah. I'm going to have a look. <laughs> I've got a scorecard. Uh, I'll, I'll ping it to you tomorrow. I'd have, I'd have been 90 by the Queen Mother if I'd have got that. <laughs> she was sozzled on gin. Gentlemen, thank you very much. To everyone who's listened, thank you for downloading. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. And we'll be, uh, we'll look forward to bringing you the next one uh, next month. So thank you very much.